Hey guys, JP here. I'm excited to introduce a small project I've been lucky to be a part of with uh, some of the coolest musicians and friends I could ask for. Uh, we've adopted the name The 8-Bit Boys, and we're just a small chamber group of both classical and jazz musicians, all connected by our appreciation for video games and video game music of all types. So just to support my group, uh, and by extension the Actually Nothing cast, head on over to Facebook and uh, just throw us a like if you could. We'll include a link in the episode description. Thanks for your support, and uh, we'll see you next time. You know, we, we just talked about, like, how important music is as a holistic thing and how, you know, we should definitely think about music critically in all sort of ways. Um, in that sort of vein, let's talk about how do we feel about remixes and covers okay. if we're thinking oh, critically. Oh, and before that, whenever I decided to cut off the other episode, welcome to episode 12 of the Actually Nothing. Wait, no, that was the one that would have been before this. Yeah, yeah. Welcome to episode 13 of the Actually Nothing podcast. This will be the part two continuation of our uh, two to three weeks prior episode yes, yes. of uh, music. So we're all we're all doing this in the same session just because this is a huge topic and we like talking about this stuff. Mm. So um, how do you feel about remixes, covers? Do you want to go on that first or do you want me to go on that first? Uh, I think you have a better grasp on that than I do. Okay. Um, for me, remix and covers, uh, I really like them. One of the things that I read recently, which was a pretty good point, is that somebody said for remix or cover bands, a lot of the times people will criticize that performance for being not close enough to the original, hmm. but to the remixer or cover band's credit, that's the whole point of a remix or a cover. Like It's supposed to be different than the source material. Otherwise, why wouldn't you just listen to the original song, right? That's true. Um, because the whole point of it is that you're putting your own spin on it, and I think that's what gives it a different flavor. That's why people like to do it, because they have, although they greatly like the original song. Maybe they have a certain genre that they excel in, or maybe they want to try something in a different instrument and try a different sound or just to see how it would sound in a different format. Yeah. And without that, a lot of the creativity that follows with music would just not be existent because I mean, how many other songs we did that whole thing where we know that this song sounds like this song and, or we'll know that this song was clearly an inspiration for this other song or this mm -hmm. artist because musicians as a community they're all built off of each other like yeah like we said nothing's original anymore like, yeah <laughs> it just it just isn't uh, you'll be super hard pressed to find somebody who's truly a good at making music but also be actually original without having influences from other people i just i just don't think it exists yeah um, without being stupidly weird like you know that weird stuff that you're talking about <laughs> i think two things about that i think in general how uh, how we've socially constructed music really leads us into having multiple inspirations at any given moment. And, and I think what makes people creative is how we deviate from those. Mm -hmm. And so like in, in a certain sort of way, remixes can basically lead people to specific types of new genres that they create for themselves and new sounds that they can create for themselves. I think trying to be innovative in itself is really difficult just because like Innovative can mean a lot of different things. And I think trying to be like explicitly innovative is damn near impossible just because you're trying to like subvert norms in every sort of way, right? Mm -hmm. By trying to be new. And I think in, in some sense, you know, because we're always, we're taught, at least socially taught and learned about how music goes, even from a young age, we get, we can catch what good and bad sounds like in music, what sounds correct and what sounds incorrect, right? Mm -hmm. um, to some degree. I think, you know, we have these social conceptions about how music is created. And so I think 
you know, it'd be near impossible to find music that doesn't have inspiration from anywhere else. Yeah. The second thing is that I think in terms of remixes and covers, there's a, a, a bit of disingenuity when it comes to covers. And I think that bleeds into remixes because when you think of, when I think of covers, I think of like cover artists and like mm -hmm. cover bands who sometimes will like, you know, they become cover bands explicitly just to play the music and not really to do anything with it. And so like, there's a certain like sect of cover bands that, you know, they are judged on the, you know, their ability to create music that is similar to the original, right? Mm -hmm. Or their, their ability to create music that's here and then bring it to a modern day and age. So I think like anybody who's making remixes and making cover like music should definitely try and uh, specify what they're trying to do, whether or not it's to, to spin something or whether or not it's to emulate. And, and to the, to the same degree, anyone who's judging music like that should be equally understanding about what the goal of the music is. Yep. Right. And, and so to that degree, I think I'm mostly for remixes. I think they're really cool. Same. I think like, Remixes in general offer up creative outlets for a lot of people who want to take things that they really love and then spin them. If you could take any song, I, I guarantee it, any song, and then type it into YouTube and be like, guitar cover of this song, oh, piano yeah, cover exists. of this song. <laughs> I mean, clearly people enjoy music and people like to spin music and play music that in ways that make them feel like they've done something for it, right? Mm -hmm. And so... I think criticizing covers can be a little bit of a, like a tricky topic just because how we judge comes into play with how like, you know, we think music should sound and whether or not somebody is doing justice to the original and whether or not that matters. Yeah. Right. But for me, remixes a lot of times can end up even being better than the original song. I agree. I can't think of any specific examples that come to mind right now, but I've read uh, a lot DJ, of DJ earworm, man. Yeah. But I mean, I've read a lot of anecdotal accounts of some artists being like, yeah, that song's not mine anymore. Like the the person who covered it or that's did true. it, like it, they made it. The yeah. that specific version is like the highest point of that song. Yeah, half of my own personal playlist on my phone or on my uh, huge YouTube library of songs yeah. that I keep compiling. Uh, you really like, do have like the largest library. Like I've ever half seen. the time, they're they're remixes of other songs, and that's just because while I do absolutely love the original song. The way that the person spun or remixed the song into a different flavor, which is how I'm going to use it. I'm getting tired of using genre. Um, <laughs> I It just brings a new level of creativity. And I'm like, yeah, you know, this is pretty great. And yeah. a lot of the people that I listen to even started off as remix or cover artists and that eventually evolved into putting out their own music. So Yeah, right. Them. Yeah. I think that's like that's a really cool thing, too. I mean, redoing songs in in different settings is probably like, you know, it's incredibly difficult. It's but difficult. Super cool when it's done well. Exactly like that. I mean, like I, from my own personal experience, like people want to hear they want to hear pop songs on the piano. I'm able to do that because the piano is so versatile. Or like, so one of my specialties is um, when I do weddings for people, I ask them explicitly, like, I want a list of songs that people that you want to hear, regardless of what the song is, and like I'll take that song. And either with violin or with piano or for whatever setting, and I'll make it for that. You know, we'll, we'll make it into chamber music. We'll make it into something that sounds like classical music, but is actually just the older song. Yeah. And, Have you done All Star yet? 
Uh, I haven't done that yet because nobody's asked for it. But just wait. All of those fuckers are getting married soon, and I'm going to be there ready. There is a sad, beautiful all-star version on YouTube. Oh, there, my so, God. So. Okay, wait. To this fan as well, there's an obscure part of YouTube where like, some classical music students, like, completely off their rocker, decided this is a good idea. Let's do this. They would take all-star and just run it through different, like, compositional tactics. Like, <laughs> So there's one that's like, do, do you know who um, Schoenberg is? No. So Schoenberg is this dude. He, um, okay, that's it. Schoenberg is this dude. <laughs> he's this dude. Schoenberg is this dude. And uh, he's brilliant. And he's trying to come up with like a new idea for music and trying to like create this new conception of music that'll render German music the most important music and relevant for a hundred years over. And he does. And he calls this serialism. What happens is before you can use, well, uh, so. If you're using notes, before you can use another note again, you have to use every other note before you can do it again. So say like you, you've just used the, the note C okay. and you go to letter D, you can't use C again until you've gone through every single note in the scale, oh. like C, C sharp, D, D sharp, all of those. Interesting. And then, and then you can go back and do it. So like, um, where was I going with this? All star. Oh yeah. So like. <laughs> Shrek, Shrek two, Shrek two. So, um, so donkey. (laughs) Continue. Um, there is this this recording of All Star where they basically run All Star through serialist property. Okay. And they run it through like Schoenberg's like quartet, and it's it's, it gets really really weird. It's really weird. I'll look it up later. Yeah, yeah. We should like. (laughs) Maybe like if you can should I play splice one it, second of it right again. Yeah, you should splice in a little bit. There's no copyrights on it because it's just shown. Oh, yeah. So like, okay, ready? Here's a little tidbit. Okay, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> but so yeah, there's a bunch of like weird covers of pop songs in those types of settings, and so like I mean, it's kind of obvious that the cover as both a way of expressing how cool something is, and then also like satirical memory, yeah. like. Like, it's just a fun thing to do. Yeah, exactly. I like how this is really, like, opened up to our musical memory, right? Musical memory. Basically, like, covers and remixes are memes in musical form, right? Pretty much. Right. How many times has We Are Number One or Megalovania been done over four memes? (laughs) Over so many memes. Like, I mean, that proves, I guess, uh, essentially on how music is so important, yeah. you know, that, that it could leave such a large imprint on a large section of humanity to create fucking memes about yeah. it, right? I just want to say the cover is actually a really, it's a historical process. Like, it goes back a long time. Like, even in the 40s or earlier than that, no, earlier than that, um, like early 20th century, there is a guy, a composer named Rachmaninoff, and he writes this concerto, the second concerto. It's one of the most important concerti to come out in all of his in all of musical history. And there's a, a pianist by the name of Vladimir Horowitz, and he goes in and he plays it, and and Rachmaninoff goes, everyone pl- like I play this piece well, but Horowitz has gone in and he swallowed it whole. It's his piece now. It's mm-hmm. that same thing where like the the piece is someone else's. It's more in, ingrained in someone's mind than it is the original composer's. Yeah. And and even farther back, like. We talked about Liszt earlier. Liszt was well known towards the end of his life to write transcript, tra- transcriptions. Mm-hmm. And what he would do is he would take popular songs that everyone knew, like classical songs, and then he would write them into like difficult, hard piano works and make them into just piano versions of that older song. So he would take like songs that were originally for maybe orchestra, like he did all of Beethoven's nine symphonies as piano works, <laughs> or like a song 
for vo like voice and piano, did it as piano works. And to an extent, this extends even farther past into like the 17th century, where like you have composers who have all of these folk songs, not even folk songs, but like songs that everyone knew about. And they would just run them into the ground with their own compositions, making them a little bit different each time so that you couldn't get called out for being a bitch. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and so like, I guess this process of remixing and cover artists is like, it's definitely not new. And it's just part of how we like, recycle and appreciate music in so in so many different ways yeah and isn't that isn't that like super cool like the remix is hundreds of years old yeah right i mean i'm sure as soon as somebody the first person who created music somebody else was like yeah i like that i want to try it too they probably just tried to copy the same thing that the first person that they heard did right? yeah they're like this is good but i think i could do this yeah. with it Maybe and make it a little bit different. Do it better yeah yeah right and so the you know essentially the remix if we if we take it from an ideological standpoint is the basis for how we created genres. Like we took things and we pushed them into different ways. I mean, we can remix a bunch of different things and make new forms out of them. That's how you got, that's how you got jazz in a lot of different senses. Like they would take certain types of jazz and just remix it and do it mm -hmm. in totally different ways. And yeah. so, yeah. I mean, there are a lot of cases even where songs that I don't like, a remix actually made it Bearable. I think I know I think what you're you talking, know what about. talking about. Yeah. So any of my personal friends who listen to this, mine as well because I, I pushed this so I, fucking hard. I fucking hate the Chainsmokers song "Closer." The do 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 do. It even pains me to try to imitate it. But the the radio version and the official version that the Chainsmokers released, I I hate that <laughs> with a passion. It's just something honestly reasonable. Something about it is just super grating. Maybe the fact that it only has three notes in the entire. <laughs> Damn song. Or that it starts with, hey. Hey. <laughs> I was doing just fine and just something. Did you ever, I mean, everyone who hasn't watched this video should totally watch the uh, the I one where they so where much. they make a Chainsmokers song about nothing. I hate it, dude. Yeah. It's, it's the worst. But there there's a, a cover, cover? Remix cover artist it's on basically YouTube. that. Uh, Tronic Box, where they, this has also kind of been my jam recently, where they'll take popular radio songs from whatever artists that you hear and then he'll turn it into an 80s synthesized sort of disco-y sound and he makes closer sound completely different like he he just closer took, to good music yeah, he took the original wow well, that was a good one <laughs> hey he took the hey. original vocal track of the song and replaced all the instrumentals with his own rendition of whatever he wanted to do with it, it sounds super good. And I unironically like that version of the song. Me too. Because I it sounds I, so good. I was like, if this was the radio version of, or the real version that the Chainsmokers released, then hell yeah, I'd listen to the song because it's great. But the bass version fucking sucks. So that, in my <laughs> mind, in my mind, Closer is Tronic Box's song now. He owns that yeah, song. Yeah, he owns that song. He does the same thing for Baby, like Justin Bieber's yeah, Baby. Yeah, Justin Bieber. I don't like Justin Bieber's songs, but he does a fantastic version of it, and it sounds completely different than the original. Which goes to show that throwing anything through an 80s mix just automatically makes it better because 80s music is superior to all things. Yeah, add that really loud, boomy drum sound, the do-do-do-do-do-do, and then throw in some synths, and you got yourself... You know, nice. you, I don't think you realize, but you just did like a carbon copy of the introduction to uh, Never Gonna Give You Up. And so I hope that what comes out is we've just rickrolled our entire audience base. Yeah, All 20, all 15... Five of you. Yeah, I'll, yeah, we'd probably get copyrighted if I put in the actual original song. Oh, of course. There you you know, go. Like, I, I, we did it. Take this as our reference mm. and as our rickrolling. Are we done to, with the remix covers topic? Now? I think the remix and covers topic like throws me into a, another topic. Um, okay. 
So I think it's fair to say that we both unequivocally hate that Chainsmokers song. Mm-hmm. And I'm 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 gonna be I'm gonna be frank. I really hate it. Yeah. Like my life before that song <laughs> was much better. I sent you so song- many Snapchat. Anytime I hear it on the radio, I'm just like, I fucking hate this song. Yeah, yeah, right. Me too. We we had like an ongoing thing where we would just send each other like every time we heard it, and, and most of the time it was like four or five times a day. You know, you're running the radio for like an hour and you hear it five yeah. times. And and so like I think it's very fair to say that the song just sucks on all levels of musicianship. <laughs> it's, it's objectively bad. Subjectively a bad song. But this draws into this question that I have. Is there such thing as bad music, and do we have a, any sort of like reference for why it is bad? Um, are you asking me specifically? I'm not asking you specifically, and I, I think that I, I just want to see. Well, actually, yeah, I am asking you specifically. <laughs> <laughs> well, I there was one thing that I don't know if it was a music teacher or somebody else that talked to me about it, but they said that the only reason why we think music or really anything for that matter is good or bad is because of the influence of other people. So if you're hanging around other people that oh, just really just take away the responsibility. Yeah. Of yeah. People I know. Just own... let me just put it on the burden. Yeah. Um, man. I mean, clearly there are, there are ways where you can say something is objectively bad because it just sounds so dissonant or doesn't make sense that you're just like, what, what is this even? Unless yeah, that's but, what they're going for. But right? even then, like there are people who think that that type of yeah. music is good. And so let, let's, let's take this question into a smaller setting within the, within specific like genres of music or flavors of music, as mm-hmm. we're going to start calling it, is there bad music and is there good music? And if we're, if we're doing this by a systemic approach, my, my opinion is that there is good and there is bad music mm-hmm. based on how genres, you know, exist. I think if music is written to be within the genre, um, then it very much has the opportunity to be either good or bad, okay. you know, by how well it follows the hierarchical rules of the genre. But that being said, a lot of music isn't written to be within a specific genre. Mm-hmm. And so I think in that sort of way, how we measure music as being good or bad really depends on how we understand the music to be a part of a greater system, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think the easy the easy answer for this is that subjectively there is good and there is bad music for for every different person. Yeah. Right? Everybody is entitled to their own opinion. Yeah, everyone so. can like music for whatever reason they like. And and so let's let's leave this disclaimer right here before we keep going forward. If you like the Chainsmokers song, I still hate you. that song <laughs> and I still think that you're a lesser human being because of it. But I will allow you to like that song because people can like what they want. Just don't ever bring it up as a point of conversation or else because we you will, might catch these hands. Yeah, you will <laughs> catch these hands. And by that, we mean a good hour and a half long session about why you're wrong and why you should feel bad about being wrong. <laughs> but in any case, so especially with music that goes across genre, you know, really it depends on the perception of how we look at the genre and how we look at how this song fits into a specific realm of understanding. So I think like when we listen to the 80s remix of Closer, one of the reasons why we think it sounds that much better is because when he puts it through his 80s filter, it's got all of these things that make it an 80s song. Mm. And it's got all, and even with its basic rudimentary harmony, uh, not harmony, rudimentary like melodic line, I think he has all of these different running things, like the harmony is different, the textures are different, the instruments are different, that make it closer in line with what we consider a stereotypical uh, 80s song. And so because it fits that mold a lot better, we're more readily available to accept it as being a good song, mm. right? Because we're it follows that we have this uh, created structure about what 
80s music sounds like and this sounds like 80s so music so we can recognize it that makes sense you know and, and if we compare it with the original song i think what really bothers me about the original song is that it just it doesn't really fit anywhere yeah and, it's so aimless yeah right like i think the problem you know all these small issues for me are like purely technical like I think the melody is really derivative. Like it's literally three notes. I think the lyricism is super stupid and dumb and like doesn't really mean anything. And he's cryptic for no other reason than to be angsty. Yeah. And then not to mention that like, you know, harmonically nothing happens very exciting either. Like there, there's literally no shift in harmony that makes me inclined to listen to it more than one time. Right. When the you're first being time held at gunpoint, strapped yeah. down to a chair. Or or conversely, the first time I listened to it and then never again. <laughs> so <laughs> and so like I think because of that, you know, it really it falls into this into this group of pop music that, you know, we see nowadays. Uh, and this isn't for everything, and this this can't be the the end all, like cure all for all, like how we judge music. But I think this music is a good example of bad music because it's not really inspired by anything and doesn't fit anywhere. For me, like Closer is the prime example of something that people like producers ran through a formula. They they saw the Chainsmokers as a like an ample ve- vehicle for their like money making scheme, mm-hmm. and they ran their image through this music. And that's really what that is. It's it's image, and it's like the specific image that they're trying to cultivate, rather than trying to create specific musical inquiry. Mm. Because let's think about what what genre does that song even fall into? Pop, not even EDM. Yeah, and and, and let's think. And I mean, like, it can be electronic, but I mean, I don't. I wouldn't even say electronic, considering there's so many different parts to it. Yeah, you know, what even is electronic dance music? If everything can be electronic, blanket term. Yeah, and so. In the same way, pop is also a super blanket term where anything can be popularized, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think part of the reason why we think that song is bad is because it doesn't fit anywhere. It doesn't have any sort of express purpose other than to be consumed. And that's like, I, I think, you know, that's almost like a bad faith rendering of music mm-hmm. is being super disingenuous, right? Yeah. Whereas like when we hear these songs, like through an 80s filter, it's like I can readily place this song in something that I know that I might not, I might like or I might dislike. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I guess the big overarching thing is that good and bad music exists, even even if it's completely per- uh, based on perception. Right. But that good and bad music can exist within specific genres because, you know, the way that humans construct genres is uh, as a way of organizing music. Mm-hmm. And we do it so that we can better understand how music progresses and how we can compartmentalize it. Yeah. And so in the process of compartmentalizing it into these big whatever, what you whatever we want to call them, like, you know, we create rules for them, right? And so depending on how like these relate to rules, you know, it really can make a piece good or bad. Let's let's take another example, if I if you don't mind me talking no, a bit more. Going. Everyone everyone in the classical music world knows about the song The Rite of Spring. The Rite of Spring now is it, it was a piece written by Igor Stravinsky. It's about the the overarching narrative is a tribe, a, a primitive tribe, has to sacrifice a young virgin to the volcano so that they can survive. Now, the music that he writes for it is totally, totally jarring. And when it was first premiered in Paris, there was so much like rioting and there was so much unhappiness and discord about the music that people were afraid that the hall that it was in premiered and was going to collapse. And I want to I want to like use this as an example for how music that goes against 
you know, cultural norms or expectations or even like genre expectations can really cause distress and can really like push us in a way that makes us feel something is incorrect, right? The same thing happens for Richard Strauss, a composer, uh, a German composer in the late 19th century who writes this big piece and everyone thinks it's just the stupidest shit and that it sounds like trash. And nowadays we're looking back historically and we're like, this music is brilliant. And it's only through the lens of history that we can really give it that sort of deal. You know, we can we can give it some sort of stamp of approval because historically we now understand what it did. Same thing for the Rite of Spring. Historically, it was super important because it did all these things. But at the time, it was uh, it was bad all the way through and through. And that's because it didn't conform to genre standards or any sort of musical hierarchy that people could expect. Yeah. Right. And so I, I think when we think about why music is good or bad and why we don't like something or why we do like something, it, it is important to think about how we organize music and how we think it's important and what parts of music we're really making the most important. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I guess like, how do, how do you think about when you decide something is good or bad, what do you think is your deciding judgment factor? Well, when you bring that up, that does make a lot of sense because if you're trying to write a jazz song, but it ended up sounding like reggaeton, then clearly it failed at being a jazz piece, right? Yeah. So in that respect, I can totally see where it's like, yeah, that's a bad fit for that specifically. I think on the surface level where most people would think of is the subjective feeling of it. Yeah. And for me, that usually falls under... If, if the pieces of the song that I'm listening to fall within any of the things that I like about music. Mm-hmm. So if it's things like the song has a good bass line for me, then yeah, I like it. Or if it's got a good beat behind it, then sure, I'll like the song. Um, other parts of it might not necessarily be objectively good. Like maybe the lyrics behind it are very bland or super generic, but maybe the melody behind it's super good. And then in that case... I'll give that song a pass. Maybe that specific part of the song objectively or from another person's perspective won't be good or great even, but that part of it is enough personally for me to give the, okay, then I'll be like, yeah, sure, that's fine. I think that's a, that's a really important way of looking at music too, is subjectively um, and how we perceive what we like about um, certain types of music. And I think that's like a super practical way of looking about how we you know delve into music as well especially when we're deciding whether or not it's good or bad, right? Mm -hmm. Because we all have, I think we all have preferences to how we think certain music should sound. And even at its, uh, even at its base rate, well, let's take music out of its genre. Say someone's introducing you to a song, you have the expectations of what it should be and whatever. I think people create what to expect and whether or not they like those things that they are listening to based on like what they expect, right? And so if you're listening to a funk song, and you, I think you have a set of things that you're listening to in general to judge how good or bad it is, right? Mm-hmm. You, you know, you'll have like the baseline. Is the baseline in this song as I see, as I feel, a baseline should be? And that's a purely subjective thing to happen. But I think at the same point, at the same time, we are making distinctions based on certain rules that I think are are governing how music goes, right? Yeah. And, and to a certain degree, like you know, music is ambiguous, and music doesn't fit into genres all the time. But I think it's part of how we consume culture and how we express our understanding of culture that really dictates rules and regulations and genres, right? Mm. Um, And this brings us to a different question that's similar. With genres that we would consider good and genres that we would consider bad, are there good, bad songs? Good, bad songs. so, So what I mean to say is like, are there songs that we don't like that we would consider bad that are good, that have merit to them? And are there songs that fit within a type of music that we would consider good that really aren't great in a merit sort of way? Hmm. 
specific examples? Let's say um, I'm of the opinion that it's like that, um, and you don't have to be, but here's my example for why. Let's take large musical genres, for example. Let's take, for instance, let's take future funk. Okay. Now, I think future funk is a good genre. For me, for me personally, I think that future funk has a lot of merit to itself as an entire group of musical settings. Mm -hmm. Now, in that good setting, there can be songs that are both really good and really bad future funk songs, don't yeah. you think? Somebody could make a future funk song that technically fits within that, but then is also just really shitty. Yeah. Oh, yeah, right? that's true. There are, yeah. there are some that have come across that. Yeah. And I think that's a that's an interesting distinction to make just because when we think about music as being good or bad, I think it's important to, you know, and what we should take away from this part of the conversation is that music being good or bad is completely arbitrary all the time. And yeah. people should be able to like whatever they want to like. Kelby says this really nicely. Um, whatever like keeps you going in the morning, whatever gets you up, if that's what, if this sort of music does it, then so be it. People can like whatever the hell they want to like. But I think it really comes into play when we start disliking music, that we should really consider why we don't, why we don't like it. This is something that I really find important because for a long time, I had so much disdain, like just plain blanket disdain for, for pop music all the way around. Mm -hmm. And, and I think for a lot of people, it made me seem really pretentious and it made me seem like I wasn't willing, I wasn't willing to, uh, delve outwards and check out new things or be open to new experiences or even validate people's opinions about music. And I think that's a, it's a really divisive opinion to have or a personality trait to have. So what I did was before I hated a song, I listened to it mm -hmm. and I listened to it maybe twice so I could at least figure out why I didn't like it. And so in our, in our discussion about good and bad music, I think what we need to take away from it is that good and bad music is like, is always arbitrary. But I think that the reasons for disliking and liking songs can be rooted in really strong and objective ways we look at music. Mm -hmm. And and matters of opinion might sometimes appear as matters of opinion, but can also be linked back to like certain sets of rules that we can all agree upon. Mm -hmm. So like next time, instead of like, you know, when you listen to a song, you say, oh, I hate this song. And you, you that's the end of your discussion with yourself or your friends about why you hate it. Maybe like you know, this plays into our listening critically, maybe take a second listen to it, figure out what specifically isn't good about it. Because if you can't explain what's good about it, is it really bad? Yeah, that's kind of just blind hate. Yeah, and blind hatred isn't anything that we should be proud of. Yeah. You know? But, good uh, point. Yeah, I think it's a, it's definitely really cool. I, I took a, I, I had a teacher one time who, you know, really took us through how music is understood and how music is like consumed and how we, perceive music as good or bad once and that really sparked a cool debate with myself over a long period of time about how we think of music hmm. you know i think we should definitely talk about like this is kind of um kind of like rooted in covers and all of this to topics of music but you know the merit of music but how do we discover new music oh for me as i said before i think even in other episodes i usually get my music different artists through youtube Mm -hmm. uh, for me, I am subscribed to a ton of compilation music channels, I guess you could call them, where they either endorse or they promote certain artists in, I guess, a specific genre, depending on what channel I'm listening to. But they'll take one song from that artist, or a whole bunch of artists, actually, and then they'll just have a huge playlist. And for me, the way I find different artists that I like is that I'll put these huge playlists from these channels and let it just go like while I'm doing something else, like, like what are we going for mm. before? If I'm doing something else, 
um, I'll have it running in the background, but I try to pay attention to the songs that oh, are yeah. running in the background because I'm actively looking for new music. Yeah. So if I find something that I like while I'm listening through these huge playlists and I'll go, I like this, I'll pause the song, go back to whatever it is. I'll usually restart the song because I don't realize that I like the song until halfway through when my attention is fully on that song. Mm -hmm. But then I'll take note of the artist's name or the album that it comes from. And then I'll either Google or YouTube search it and see what else the artist has to offer. And nine times out of 10, I end up liking the other stuff that they put out because it was either similar to the first song that I heard from them, or it's just uh, subjectively in my part of my tastes. And that's usually how it gets rolled into. Yeah, this is a new artist that I like. And then to even further that, all the recommendations on the side will also be like, Hey, I saw that you like, this song, try looking at this song. Mm -hmm. And then it just starts to spiral. Personally, it gets out of control sometimes because I'll stay up way too late listening to too many songs. But that's usually how I find music. I mean, I know the big thing nowadays is streaming music through Spotify or Apple or whatever. Um, but for me, I just don't use those apps just because, I don't know, I'm too used to the YouTube platform and the method that I'm out there finding it. But a lot of the times I've also heard that they're recommendation engine sometimes falls flat like it just ends up looping in on itself and mm -hmm. you're only listening to the same songs but i've had that happen yeah. a few times for me i really like trying to find stuff actively because it sort of feels like a like a treasure hunt if i find somebody new that i like their songs yesterday yesterday specifically i found a whole bunch of new people that i never heard of before it's just a really good feeling because not a do i only feel like i'm contributing to their work because Clearly, they've put an effort to put these songs out in the first place, and now I'm appreciating their music, which is probably what they're going for in the first place, right? Why else will they make it? Yeah. And secondly, it just adds more to the music library. And I like one of the quotes that I say is, variety is the spice of life. And for music, me personally, that is totally huge because I kind of get bored if I listen to the same thing over again. So. I was I'm trying to look for new music. So if variety of the spice of, if variety is the spice of life, then genre is the flavor of the month. Yes. Yes. Good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. YouTube YouTube primarily is where I go with those. Or uh looking at remix artists again, mashups specifically. That was probably that was a point that I think I wanted to bring up in the remix conversation. But mashups a lot of the time, DJ Earworm, yeah. uh Kim something, not Sam Kim, he's different. Some, one of the other artists, they do huge mashups of just a bunch of different songs. And sometimes I will only recognize one half of the song or some part of the mashup. And I'll be like, I like the other part of that song too. What was that? And then I'll go try mm -hmm. to find that specific song. Usually they list them in the credits. And then I'll be like, oh, cool. And then it's just, again, another big rabbit hole where I just keep searching or keep finding things on the recommended sidebar and just snowballs from there. So. Uh, side tangent, now that we've talked about both remixes and like merit in music, I'd like to just call attention to all the bad remixes that we hear <laughs> sometimes. Like sometimes you you tune in, I think it's like, it might be 1019 in Chicago about yeah. like, and, and there's a whole hour where those let's do remixes. And some of these remixes are just like really bad. Is that those really late night ones? Oh yeah. They do? Really late night it's remixes. DJ generic name and then kind of just like Snake. really, yeah. you know, really bad rendition of it yeah and something happens where like they have a they have like a song and it just you know 
they do something with the remix where like maybe the remix music doesn't tune in with the melody of the song or the beats don't really line up correctly. And it's just kind of like, I don't know how you got someone to think that this was good, but you're on the radio now and it's oppressing me. So can you, can we not I'm going to crash this car into oncoming traffic if this is not explicitly stopped. so I can stop listening to this music. Yeah. I mean, those are two, that, that, that's one instance that plays into like seriously two topics that we just talked about, yeah. like the sort of trying to create new things and, judging music based on like preset rules. Yeah. Anyways, um, I think that finding music in that way is super rewarding just because it's almost like, you know, it's explicitly because you are finding it, right? Mm -hmm. There's something special about discovering music for yourself and finding it out. It's almost like, like you said, it's like you're discovering like little gold, like gems. Yeah. Like sometimes you gotta when you sort through the shit sometimes to find the gold nuggets. Honestly, that's not a bad way of looking at like music search. Yeah. Um, m one of my best friends, Ryan, he, um, he does the same thing where he'll just go off on huge musical tangents. And one thing that is super impressive about him is that he's got such a wide, expansive knowledge of classical music and piano music and music in general. He's got such a great knowledge of music and we're always like so impressed by like oh, man like of course ryan knew about that he's like he's the he's got this encyclopedia mm -hmm. and i it, i think it's because at least the way that he describes it to me is that he would just go on these like huge rabbit holes of classical music and he would follow the search engine and follow these the recommendations and find all these things and i think it played into the same sort of like reason for why you did that too it's like it's super cool to have this large like library of music that you're just listening to mm -hmm. and also just being able to find these you know possibly underrepresented works of art is crazy and really great mm -hmm. right when i when i try and listen to new music i think most of the music i listen to is purely um purely by recommendation from other people mm -hmm. I um I, I don't spend a lot of time on like streaming sites or on like YouTube because it's just like, you know, I, I can't I can't listen to music while I'm working. It's too hard because especially if you're writing or if you're practicing or doing whatever, like music, you know, it becomes just a distracting voice to listen to as well. Mm -hmm. Too many things going on at one time, right? Um and so n inevitably one thing fails in favor of the other. But what what I inevitably do is people will tell me like you know, based on that question, like, what are you listening to? Or they'll just tell me off the bat, like, you should listen to this. Mm -hmm. I'll go in and I'll find it immediately. And I'll put it in my like added playlist. And I'll just listen to that as soon as I'm like driving or as soon as I'm going anywhere, like maybe taking the CTA or like, you know, taking a long walk somewhere. I'll just put that on. I'll listen to it and see what it's like. Yeah. And that that's like primarily how I discover new things. Every once in a while, I'll get a really good suggestion for that. But I, I think I don't. I, I have a lot less patience than you when it comes to finding new music because, yeah. like, sometimes I'll just listen through like a few parts of an album and I'll be like, "This sucks, dick." <laughs> I don't want to like waste any more time listening to this when I could be listening to something a lot better. Yeah. Right. And then you'll just disregard like anything else that might have. been Yeah, on the like album. you know, there's there's potential for me like missing out on a lot of really great things because mm -hmm. of that one thing standing in the way. Yeah. And, you know, and and so there's definite merits to both, but I, I, for me personally, I think that like the sort of looking through YouTube thing is like the one of the best and pure ways of looking for like finding new music, especially, yeah. you know, just because like, because then you're, you're literally following like parts of your personality that are just like expressing themselves through their taste in music. Right. Yeah. And I think that's like super pure and super cool. Yeah. And luckily a lot of the times on those videos on YouTube, there are comment sections, which a lot of the times people will post, Oh, this sounds a lot like this artist or it sounds a lot like this song. And then I'll get super curious because if I like the song that I'm currently looking at the comments for probably 
be pretty accurate as to what somebody else recommended. Yeah. And then that, again, same thing. It's a recommendation from somebody else and that will continue to feed my ever-growing mountain of music. I think one cool thing about, you know, especially YouTube uh, comments underneath certain videos and even like subreddits that are about like musical recommendations or even ask Reddit threads about music. Like the cool thing about that is that uh, you get a lot of people coming together to discuss like what about the music is so great for them. Mm -hmm. And, And in general, like whenever you get like a good big music thread, people tend to be like overwhelmingly happy about the music and how it affects them and maybe what part of life it brings them to and how it makes them feel nostalgic mm-hmm. or sentiment for anything. Yeah. And I think that's, that's super pure. And that's part of a part of the internet and part of music that I th- think really deserves a lot of credit, you know, helping people find new things and helping people discover things about music they would have never been able to know about before. Yeah. You know, and music, a lot of the times that's just because people are happy to give the artists that they're recommending more recognition and they're just trying to spread it like a wildfire, which is great because if the artist gets more recognition, then in turn, they'll probably get more money to keep putting out new content. So yeah, like yeah. people supporting people. It's like a great, yeah. you know, thing, you know, I think this conversation is really running and um, I think we should, we, we maybe we should Next end topic. We should end with our last one. Maybe okay. um, speaking of like, how we find new music and how like, you know, these online communities really bolster Mm -hmm. our ability to find new music. Um, What are some underrated artists that you think deserve some more recognition in the world? You want to go first or do you want me to go first? I I think you should go first. These are, I think you've got more relevant uh, suggestions for people. Uh, Well, for, I guess underrated is also a subjective thing because if you see X amount of subscribers or whatever, then you, I guess somebody could be like, yeah, they're not underrated or clearly I've heard of them. What, but, well, what do you think, what groups or what artists do you think deserve recognition and what, what do you think should get more recognition? I Good thing we wrote down these specific things because otherwise I would not have rem- remembered them. Hmm. But one of the recent ones that I found is a remix artist, kind of remix artist, and he also puts out some of his own specific stuff. But Omni Boy, he's a really good guy. And it sounds like it sounds like I know him personally. If I say yeah, he's, it. Yeah, he's a really good guy, yeah. Um, but he puts a nice spin on um, he does that thing where it's subverting your expectations, and his remixes aren't just within the same genre as the original song. He'll put it in, and he I don't really know, I guess lo fi hip hop is what he would put him on, but I don't cool. know. I really like his sound. Um, Wolf Peck, I personally love, mm. I showed you them, they were on a recommendation of one of my other friends. He said. Yeah, I know you really like bass lines. You check these guys out. And nice. Man, do they rip. So yeah. I love them. Um, Ujiko or Snail's House falls falls under chiptune, I guess, or electro. Really like his stuff. It sounds very, very pretty. He likes definitely inspiration comes from video games. He uses a lot of like NES, Game Boy Advance sounds. And I don't know, his the visuals that come along with the videos that he puts out for the music. Super awesome, too, just because it's animation. I love animation. Um, Tom Misch. Super good European artist. Really young, too. It's 21 only, I think, right now. Yeah. But he's definitely coming up, I think, because people are... I'm starting to see his name. Maybe it might just be the Bader-Meinhof effect where I now that I know it, I'm starting to see it everywhere. But, it might it, be, but yeah. you never but know. It's starting to come up. He's definitely more of a like a chill kind of funk sometimes artist. I think Peter knows him, too. Yeah. But definitely a guy that you could vibe to, if you want to use that word. Yeah. Jacoby, personally, one of my all-time favorites also. They also do a... I, again, funk probably is the best way to describe them, but I guess I, I described them once as they have a really good 
summer sound. Like it's super good for music that you would want to play if you're at the beach or just hanging out on your porch on a hot summer day or something. And then uh, the last underrated artist that I have is uh, Jake Kaufman, a.k.a. Vert. He's a video game composer for uh, Way Forward. I don't know if he's like under contract or anything, but a lot of his music sounds super funky. Again, his one of his inspirations that I saw was Jamiroquai. And lo, be, lo and behold, the dots connected there perfectly for me. But if anybody, knows, yeah, if anybody knows Shantae or what's that one cop game? something i'm forgetting it but if you look him up a lot of his songs are you can very clearly hear the jimmy inspiration behind it and it's coupled with his excellent use of chip tunes because that's primarily what he writes with but those are uh those are my recommendations and underrated artists what about you i've got a, a weird spread that'll be a little bit like totally different genres but definitely i think worth listening to so this this one goes out to my my brother and my sister who turned me on to this artist. And I think he's pretty good. You know, he, he's got a really nice sound. We're going to see him very soon in Chicago. His name is Bruno Major. And I think my, my, my siblings both like him a lot. And to, and I think there's a lot of merit in his music. He definitely fits. He feels a certain vibe that's really chill and like low key jazz funk oriented. Went to school to be a guitarist. Like, so he's got a really great musical language. And so I think that's something that, you know, people could check out. It's really easily accessible. Second on that list, uh, I would say Luke Holland. He's a, a YouTube drummer who does a lot of my, uh, he plays like covers of my, of like my favorite metal songs and, um, just, you know, instrumental parts. And I, I think he deserves a lot of credit just because, you know, drumming in some of those bands and in general is just like such an art form that gets relegated to being background, but really like a lot of music is nothing without the rhythmic pulse that keeps it moving forward. And so I really appreciate how he does a lot of things. On to the really more obscure sort of things. Wow. Um, what, a, what a trailblazer you are. <laughs> really obscure things. <laughs> um, Jonathan, so I, these are really stemming from music I've played in certain ensembles recently. But so the music of Jonathan Harvey, um, which I was showing Aaron a little bit earlier, which is, it's really obscure. It's kind of brutalist. Uh, he, he's working with like, pitch classes and try and for pitch classes like certain types of notes go in specific places and certain sounds have to go here it's it's really obscure music if, you, if anyone wants to get into it check out i would say the valley of awasta it's like i played it it's really crazy um you also got to check out check out body mandala it's about tibetan horns um second i would say is hans abrahamson which you know i've played and listened to a, a good as well a good amount as well I played recently his song uh, Winternacht, which is just, it's four movements and it's about, it's basically what this guy's entire career is about. He's so obsessed with snow. He uh, he writes about snow all over the place. Like the Elsa of all composers is Hans Abrahamson. <laughs> um, I think he I think he's actually doing something with that. Or Frozen 2? I don't know. He's I, I heard some sort of rumor that he's writing the music for some like big adaption. No. The oh, what it is on ice. What it, what it is is it's the original story of Frozen. He's writing into an opera, um, the Hans Christian Andersen like story. He's writing music for it. Hmm. Um, so that's important. Also, check out Schnee, which is uh, a set of twelve fugues that basically get more and more complex. But it's all about snow. Schnee means Schnee is snow in German. 
Next, I would say is Toru Takemitsu, who is a Japanese uh, composer. Those Japanese composers, man. Yeah. Nobuo Metsu, Koji Kondo, they're all co- legends. They're all just legendary, and this guy is no exception. He he makes some of the most beautiful Zen music. Actually, some of his most famous pieces are his covers. He wrote he wrote. Um, let let me set precedent for him. Toru Takemitsu is like really close to what classical musicians like to label as impressionist music, early 20th century French music. It's got all of these specific colors and lots of rhythmic cells and really focuses on one color chord at a time. But so he's like in that same school of thought. But there is at a point where he did piano covers piano or guitar covers of Beatles songs and they're written out and they're really cool and you should all check them out. The piece that I played that is really worthwhile listening to is Archipelago. It's like for, it's written for three sets of instruments arranged like an archipelago. And so it's kind of cool when the sounds come out in specific sort of ways. The way that we had done it was we had arranged everything like an archipelago. And then we had two clarinet players just like in the way ups in the concert hall. And so you didn't even know they were there until they played something. And it's like, oh, they're all the way on the top. And so it's pretty, it's pretty slick. Uh, the last underrated musical artist that definitely needs a lot more coverage is me. So. <laughs> yes, please support JP Pendowski and no. all of his and musical endeavors. Yeah, uh, I mean, I'm just I'm just joking, but like, but um, you're not joking. But I'm also not joking. <laughs> like, as as like a, a musician who works in the field and does all these things, uh, music is super important to me. And and all the things that we talked about today, like critically listening to music and uh, you know thinking about why we don't like music or why we like music is something that hits really close to home because it's like, uh, it's, you know, it's my bread and butter. And it's something that I think really deserves our time. And, you know, composers and musicians work really hard to make something sound, you know, what they would consider to be good. Mm-hmm. And so by listening critically, you know, we really give them at least the opportunity of good feedback. And we allow them this sort of space to either make themselves better or to like continue doing what they're doing and maybe try out new other parts of it. And And so like, if anything... Uh, any underrated artist that needs more like uh, coverage is, you know, any friends you have that are musical artists mm-hmm. and anyone that is working to try and be musically oriented and to make, you know, a living out of it yep. needs all of our support. I mean, it's a cutthroat industry, so yeah, it's, you, you need as much help as you can get. It's cutthroat, but I'd also like to dispel a little bit of that because as much as it is cutthroat, cutthroat which is totally a real thing. Um, there is a bit of there is a bit of the industry that's really cool, and there's a lot of us who like to be like to work together, and we like to build each other up as much as possible. And so, like, I think uh, you know, if we can focus on that optimism, you know, music becomes much more genuine and much like a much more pure endeavor, not something that we have to be com- like competing all the time to get, mm-hmm. but rather something where the you know the successes of one person are this is uh, the successes of other people right because mm-hmm. music music shouldn't be about like trying to outdo someone else then we're really letting like a legalist idea of music you know, proliferate and let that win music is expression right mm-hmm. you know in the same way that people can like whatever the hell they want to like you know music should always be about trying to find a more in-depth way of of expressing things and a more in-depth way of like capturing how we experience the real world around us mm-hmm. so let let this just be a, a PSA for like, you know, support your musician friends, support your artist friends and support anyone trying to make it in the creative industry 
or even anyone who's doing something creative. That's always valuable. This podcast is a creative outlet for us. And yeah, you're you know, doing us a favor by yeah, listening to us. Yeah, and we and we appreciate anyone who like appreciates what we do and gives us feedback. It's always it's in the same vein as how you treat musicians. That you includes know? you, future us. That's right, future us. That's I'll, play, I'll just play the that's bit. That's your cue, yeah, Aaron. I'll up, that's the bit that I did. Yeah. Anyways, you can clearly tell that music is a huge part of our lives. That goes for Dan and Peter too, who regularly yeah. show up with us. And we'll have to we'll have to do a separate episode where we talk about you know how they view music as well and how yeah. maybe not we'll, we won't do the same like we won't do the same conversation points, but we'll do something with something it. Something with it. It's yeah. it's a very important thing for all of us, and um, you know we we love our music. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But other than that pretty much all we got so uh bye yeah